Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Chris, what is something that you can't live without? I've been thinking about ways how to answer this question oh, no. that you have posed to me. Uh, there's there's so many obvious answers about things you can't live without, but I will just say shoes. Oh, that's shoes. a good one. You really need good shoes because uncomfortable shoes, they can lead to so many problems <laughs> in your lower back, your sciatica, oh, no. all that Our stuff. Our age is so, showing. Oh, Lord. Yeah, exactly. But shoes are important. Shoes I get that. Shoes are important yourself. Okay. I, I have to say, like, heating and air conditioning, if I were bored, like, pre-AC heating, I just feel like I would not have lasted hmm. quite as long. Okay. Okay. You would have melted. Yeah. Essentially. I'm always hot and cold. <laughs> you gotta be. But today, we're talking about something all of us cannot live without. That is water. And water in New Mexico has a very important and complex history which we'll get into a little bit later. Things like changing climate, wildfires, the rise in population, there's outdated infrastructure. So many things are all changing the ways that we use and think about water. And there's an organization here in central New Mexico keeping a close eye on all of it. They've been around for nearly 100 years but you may not know much about them. Gabby's talking about the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District, or what you may hear the acronym MRGCD. With us today to shed some light on the organization and answer a few water questions is Jason Kasuga. He is the CEO of the MRGCD. Jason, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity, uh, and I love talking about water. So that's what I'm here to All do. Right. So yeah, let, let's talk about what exactly the MRGCD is. Why was it created? And what is the mission? So the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District, uh, I think contrary to popular belief, is not an irrigation district. We're a conservancy district. Um, Unlike an irrigation district, we have more than one mission. Uh, That mission involves uh, river flood control, uh, controlling groundwater. And then because of those two missions, we're also able to then deliver irrigation water. And so we are are an old organization. Uh, We've been around for a while. Uh, A lot of folks don't know that. We're approaching a hundred year anniversary and uh, we're we're beginning um, steps to kind of prepare for that and and engage the community. But we, we right now, I think most people recognize us for the water that we deliver. And most likely if you're in the Valley and you're walking along a a ditch that is made of dirt and not concrete, it's probably ours. And we're, we, we use those facilities to deliver water to irrigators and um, farmers. And the concrete ones, usually when people see those, those are maybe the arroyos, the drainage ditches from the city, right? That's correct. So the most of our facilities are going to run north to south. Um, but if you see a big concrete facility that either runs from east to west or west to east, um, that's going to be somebody like um, a MAFCA, the, the flood control that's authority, right. or, 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 the, or a municipality who does um, some sort of um, flood control in that vein. So the Rio Grande River is obviously a lifeblood for central New Mexico, but we also share water with Texas and Colorado as part of the Rio Grande Compact, right? That's correct. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that deal and maybe what it means for New Mexicans today. That's a good question. So the Rio Grande Compact um, is really important for the Middle Valley. 
um, as you said, and I think you, you did a good job of describing it, it's an agreement. Um, it's a water sharing agreement between um, Colorado, Texas, New Mexico. Um, and also the agreement also requires the United States to deliver water to Mexico. And the, the, like the district, the agreement's old. Uh, and it, it governs in any given year um, the amount of water that's produced in what we call the Rio Grande Basin or watershed, uh, the, it, it governs each entity's share and how much stays and can be consumed in Colorado, how much stays and can be consumed in New Mexico, and how much um, can, needs to be sent down further south. And there is a requirement, just like a bank account, right? You, you have to deliver a certain, much, a certain amount, and if you don't deliver it, you can... Um, you can gain credits or you can gain um, debits against that. And so New Mexico, unfortunately, finds itself in, in debit to the compact. Uh, New Mexico over the last couple of years have under-delivered. So we have a requirement to deliver on, on water that we should have delivered in previous years. And so th that creates restrictions on, um, for water managers like myself and others in, in what we can do in some of the facilities further north like Elvado Dam. Um, and how we can use those facilities. So it's very, very important. And I think it's one of the, the hardest things to, to grasp of how the compact affects the Middle Valley. Um, but it, it, but to, to sum it down, the way it truly can affect us is our ability to store water, to put water in storage for current use or another year's use. Why was New Mexico under delivering for, for so long? Were we just not getting the rain or? Or was it a usage problem? Um, so the, the, the nice part is, is we haven't actually been under delivering all that long. Uh, it just, the, the, when we do under deliver, depending on the type of water year we have and the amount of water produced, it can stack up quickly. Uh, so it, it's not like it's been going on um, for such a long time that we can't come back from. But the largely, I think there's two factors. Uh, one, there's not as much water being produced in in our basin anymore. And so that's, that's a component to it. And then the other piece is when we don't produce a lot of water, um, there, the river kind of changes and other uses come up if it's not having water in it, then things like plants and vegetation grow and that consumes water. And then when we do get water, that vegetation doesn't go away. Um, so it's harder to move water from north to south. And then the, obviously there are inefficient practices for the use of water, right? And those are, those are all three key areas that we as the Middle Valley have to get better on. Um, we, need to, we need to use the water better. Um, we need to maintain facilities um, with drought in mind. Uh, and then when we see inefficient practices, like we, we need to um, quickly either upgrade infrastructure or hold folks accountable to being um, and using the water to the best of their ability. You mentioned some of those facilities, and I did want to focus in on that because I know a lot of what we hear and what we see sometimes are the big projects that happen out there or the discussion about this project needing to be invested in or happening. And so we also mentioned, you know, near the top or you mentioned that uh, the MRGCD is nearly 100 years old. So I'm guessing that means some of the infrastructure is aging as well. On those lines, I wanted to ask you, what are the challenges with old infrastructure? Is it that water's leaking out of it or it doesn't go where you want it to? Is there something that's sort of really in need of updates that maybe you can tell us about or, or something that maybe you're worried will really put people in a bad situation if infrastructure fails? Yeah. So like any governmental entity, we have critical infrastructure locations, bottlenecks, uh, 
you guys are probably familiar with a siphon um, that we've been on the news before called Corrales siphon. Mm -hmm. Farmers in Corrales rely on water from the Rio Grande for their crops to grow. However, officials from the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District found a small issue which has posed major problems for farmers and their crops. Now, Jason Kasuga with the MRGCD says that hole in the pipeline gave the district no other choice but to cease operations to that pipeline this season. Um, it's, a under, it's a pipeline that goes underneath the river. Right. So, so it's not something that's easily replaceable uh, and it moves water from the east side of the river to the west side of the river. And that recently broke. Uh, so when you talk about infrastructure like that, that is that is not something that is easily to, easy to fix. And it is um, and because it's in the river area, there's also a complication on how we can go and do a new project. So, um, and that's not, I use that as an example because that, that is an, uh, an old facility. It's been around for um, almost the entirety of the district. Uh, it's, uh, it's not made of concrete. It's not made of metal. It's actually made of wood um, because that was a material back that, that they built with back then. Uh, so the best example, the best view I can get is think of a whiskey barrel, but think of it really big and really long and completely underneath the river. Well, now, people in the area say they are usually accustomed to four irrigations. Thus far, they've only had one and their crops are showing those effects. It's created a big issue for us in Corrales. We're, we're hurting for water. Like you see these trees, we may lose them. They're all, they're all drying up. Those are some of the challenges that we face. And I have other critical pieces of infrastructure like that. We have a siphon that carries water from the east side to the west side that feeds most of the South Valley. And I really wanna be clear, I don't believe that piece of infrastructure is going to fail, um, but we as an agency um, and as old as we are, has to start thinking about our infrastructure and planning and developing the ability to replace it because we, we recently submitted the Corrala siphon um, for consideration um, in this legislative session as part of a water trust board project. And uh, it sounds like that project got funded, but to fix that pipeline is about $9 million. And what does that pipeline do exactly? It means a lot to the people around Corrales, right? Absolutely. It is. It delivers their water. Without that pipeline, it gets very difficult to get water to Corrales and a portion of Albuquerque on the west side. And so the, when infrastructure like this breaks, it is costly. Uh, and it and the amount of time, the steps to be able to go do the work in the river, um, be that environmental compliance and working with all the state and federal agencies takes time. So we, those are the kinds of things that I worry about. And the we we are just starting to get our hands around. Um, we recently presented at a board meeting where I think um, our total is we have about six hundred and eighty million dollars worth of critical infrastructure, and about a hundred and fifty million of that is been prioritized to seek funding or studies to understand um, what's this current state and if it breaks, what's the effect to the community? If those people are without water, what does that do to the economy, people living there? Well, culturally, it'd be huge, right? So we have the, um, say for Corrales, the, and rightfully so, you had farmers who have trees and they've had these trees on their farms for years upon years, decades. And so missing the ability and not having flood uh, water to flood irrigate uh, re really stresses, okay, can we get enough water to make those trees survive? Because a, a tree in terms of a farmer is not an investment I can make year one and start seeing a return on an investment in year two, three, or four, right? A tree's right. an investment. It's like a family member, really, mm -hmm. right? Like you're, and, and it'll outlast family members. 
um, and you'll pass that and you want to pass that on to another generation. And that's what some of those farmers did. And so I think that was a real, real concern for Corrales. And luckily in that instance, because of the amount of acreage that we serve, we were able to put a solution down that allows us to pump water and, and, and pump enough water to get to satisfy them. But that's just but that pumping solution only worked because of the number of acres that we had to serve and the volume of water needed. If you take, say, the South Valley and the size of their siphon, uh, and if that siphon were to break, which I want to go on record here, that siphon, I believe, is made out of concrete. And so I think we're in a much better situation there. Um, so I don't want to scare anybody, but it just means that we need to be paying attention to this. But if a critical piece of infrastructure like that would break um, with the amount of acres it serves, I don't think we could put enough pumps on the ground to pump enough water efficiently to, to make flood irrigation viable. So that area would go without that area. We would do the best that we can. Um, but culturally and the and from a farming standpoint, there's a lot of South Valley small farms. A lot of people grow their own produce um, that would suffer in the short term. What are some of the things that people grow? The farmers that grow, say, Corrales, South Valley, what do they do? It just really depends where you are. I think a lot of our urban growers, um, they probably, they, they're growing things like gardens. Um, th- a lot of them may be showing up to these farmers markets where they, where they grow things on, um, they grow produce on, on smaller acreage and they, they come and, and, and they share that produce. Um, or in some instances, they may be just growing it for their own family use. Uh, and then as you kind of scale up to larger farmers who, who grow alfalfa, uh, and obviously that alfalfa is sold um, both locally and abroad um, out of the state uh, um, for livestock and for, um, and yeah, for that, those purposes. And the, and then again, we, you can have farmers who grow trees. You know, we have, we have um, whether that's fruit growers or nuts um, uh, there, we have that within the benefited area of the district or our boundary that we provide water to. So um, I think there's a little bit of everything, depending on where you find your find yourself. And then obviously, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention Chile. Uh, so yes. the the most the other lifeblood for the, New Mexico, the other lifeblood for New Mexico. I appreciate that. So the uh, yeah, there's a little bit of everything from what humans consume to what um, livestock consumes uh, is grown within the benefited area of the district this analogy in my head is like, you know, you watch those superhero movies and they're like trying to save the world. And then the rest of society like is just living life. Nothing's wrong. And there's no threat because there's not an immediate threat that we can see. You talk about these, this infrastructure underground underneath the river. I didn't know that. It seems like a stressful job to make sure that that's all still working properly. That's what it made me think of. After running dry last year in Albuquerque for the first time since the 80s, the agency that oversees the Rio Grande in the middle of the state says they are hopeful the river will keep running this year. Irrigation season is starting. We know some communities will have water restrictions for when and, you know, how they can water, where the water comes from and so forth. What's the difference for the ag industry and farmers this year when it comes to irrigation and watering? Yeah, so I think this irrigation season um, is is going to be a little bit different, especially through the spring. We are um, we've started a staggered startup plan, and what I mean by that is historically the district um, we would get to this point in time and kind of everything would come on. We would have enough water, we could take enough water out of the river where we could kind of turn the proverbial faucet on and, and get the season going. And now um, we really want to be focusing on what we need to take. So 
um, whenever I mean need, you will hear water managers and, and folks like myself talk about a demand, a true demand. So that is a need for an amount of water to grow something um, or to do something um, very specific, right? And so we, we, we are really focusing on, on the needs and how we develop these plans to meet the agricultural need of the valley. Uh, and uh, so I, I expect this year, the, the Stagger Startup Plan, we have more water in the river at this time than we had last year. Um, quite a bit, actually. Um, I think when we started the irrigation season last year, roughly about the same time, the 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 base flow coming out of um, Coach D Dam was about 600, 650. And I think um, last last week we had um, gate changes to where I think close to a thousand CFS was coming out. So we, we have quite a bit more water. So we've actually started to get the irrigation season um, up and charged. Uh, we're able to make deliveries in Socorro. We're able to make deliveries in um, Belen now, um, Albuquerque is beginning to see its canal start to charge, and so is the Cochiti Division. And so I think we will be ready to make ag deliveries in in almost every area of our of where we where we have control, um, probably by the uh, middle of next week, um, if not the end of this week. So we've we're we're ahead of schedule. We're going to be compared to last year a whole lot better, um, especially through the spring. Uh, we're going to see a lot more water move through the Middle Valley, uh, and. The, which I think we're going to take what we need. Um, we're going to leave what we don't need in the river uh, that, will, that will have a positive environmental effect and that will hopefully have a positive effect on the compact um, and, and allow us to continue to kind of pay down some of that debt. And so I, I think folks will experience a spring that does a spring runoff that doesn't end at the end of April. Um, I think the reports that we're getting from the last water forecast is we could see these spring flows last um, into June. Um, hopefully, right? And uh, there's still a lot that needs to go right. Uh, wind can play a big part of that. Um, how fast uh, temperatures heat up in the mountains and so um, how fast that water then melts and comes down. But all the indications are we're going to have a better spring and a longer spring. Some people may very easily, I think, blow off the importance of irrigation, especially, you know, if you don't work in the industry or maybe you don't drive by and see the volumes of property that things are grown on. Um, I think about some of the folks in our urban communities, right? You may just be surrounded by the pavement and the asphalt and city streets and kind of forget that we do have quite a large agricultural community around us. So with that in mind, I still think though, it seems that people in say Albuquerque, Santa Fe, the metro areas, the urban areas, they're all still part though of helping protect water resources. So I wanted to ask you, how integral are the day-to-day -day actions of people who aren't using irrigated water? How integral are those actions toward protecting the state's water resources? I think water in the state of New Mexico is an every citizen problem. It's not a water manager problem. It's not a farmer problem. It's an every citizen problem. Because even though there's different agencies that deal with municipal water, um, imagine a cup. It's the same cup of water. Um, MRGCD just takes the water off the top. Some agencies put a straw into that cup and they take it from the bottom. Some agencies do both. They take it off the top and the bottom, but it's the same cup of water. Um, we're all drinking from the same cup. So we all need to take care of that resource. And so even just, there are a lot of programs out there now to just look at the way that we used to do things and do, is it right? And do I need um, that kind of turf all over my yard or do I need it for a place for where we want to gather as a family and have a good time, but also recognizing we live in the Southwest and there's some beautiful Southwest plants and stuff that we can put out that are more native here and that will handle drought better. Do, 
the, I mean, I was just talking to my kids. I have, I have young kids and how many of us know, just you flip on the faucet, you walk away for three minutes, you come back and it's like, no, turn that off, right? Even the investment in um, fixtures and appliances that use less water, that, that should be a thing. And we should think about it. It's not going to be, there, there's not this superhero type of fix, right? Where um, there's going to be this one thing that comes in and saves the day. Uh, we as a society um, who live in the West and in the Southwest, whether it's New Mexico or other states, um, we have to think about water differently. And we have to cherish it as a resource, recognize we need it to survive. And I think have some of these conversations about what do we need, uh, balance some of the wants, uh, but really have a tough conversation of what's a need and what's a want. Uh, because I, I believe over the longer term, the Southwest is still going to have um, difficult years. We're seeing a, a lot better water situation, especially in California with some of the snow and stuff that they're getting. Um, but that's coming off of four years of just watching reservoirs go dry and the one good year does not erase four bad years. And that doesn't mean that we have four good years ahead of us. This could be a year in which we have a a pretty decent water situation, but then return back to the pattern that we've seen, which is warmer temperatures, less water being produced. And so it is the, I know it was a long answer and I apologize for that, but it is what the podcast format's for, for sure. (laughs) But it is definitely a, an, an every citizen problem. And it's going to require thoughtfulness in all those areas to solve. Last year, we covered New Mexico's green chili farm industry on this podcast. And we learned, you know, for a lot of farmers, they're in their, say, fifth generation of farming. And there are several factors that do make it more difficult, it seems like, than in years past. There's drought. We had record wildfires last year, rising prices. What is your communication like with people in the farming industry and maybe what are their concerns? If you could share. I'm going to kind of go off a little bit different direction here, but water, water is always a concern for, for farmers, timing of it, what they're growing. Um, they'd all like it when they, when they ask for it. Um, but that's getting harder and harder to do. So we're having to plan and do rotation. So they always care about water, but there's a lot of other things that are going on that are hurting farmers. Um, the ability to find labor, I often get one of the questions I get is, Jason, why don't farmers in the Middle Valley grow more consumable crops on a commercial level? Well, let's talk about some of those consumable crops and, and how do you harvest them? Is there a machine that can walk around and pull chili off a plant and know when to pull chili off a plant? Right. Like, so that's a tough discussion. And the and then also just the the types of um tools available to them. You know, there's a, there's a, I was in, I was in a forum the other day talking and there was a lot of questions about herbicide and the types of herbicide that one, the district uses and two farmers use. And the, you know, farmers are using herbicides that are approved by the USDA for their type of use. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of attentions looked at that and, and I'm not here to say herbicides are good or bad. What I'm here to say is um, there are certain tools available to the farmers and the more tools that are taken away, we need to have conversations about those because it, it makes the job of growing something more expensive. Um, there are, and, and labor, finding folks that want to do and, and love that kind of work. Um, farming's a hard job. And I've been with farmers who are in tears uh, because that's what they want to do. Family farms and they, and they want to farm. They, they want to count that cost. Uh, and so again, we talk about conversations. We talk about um, urban communities, you know, having a conversation with farmers, um, and farmers having a conversation with urban communities. Right? I, I think 
both of those groups need to need to talk a little bit more. We need to find forums to get them into the room and let them hear each other. Because oftentimes, um, I think folks can relate to that. I think a person in an urban area can relate with rising cost and the ability to bring in something, whether they go to a desk job or they go to a a um, a blue collar labor job. Um, I think I think there's common ground for folks to understand, but the I think those are a lot of words. Obviously, water aside is a big one because you need water to grow plants. But we also have to think about the tools farmers need, and then as we as we govern and and consider taking away some of those tools, um, ask questions of what that looks like, and and if that has to be done, ask questions: Can we do things to offset the effect of that? Otherwise, we're just going to continue to grow less and less of the things that we need to consume um, and asking um, others to, to grow that for us. You mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, you know, most people consider MRGCD as an irrigation district. You said, no, we're, we're truly a conservancy district. There's a difference there. Is there anything that you wish people understood more of or better about the work that you do? Oftentimes you talk to folks who don't know who the MRGCD is, but they see it on their tax bill. And they and so I think that's the thing. And oftentimes well, there, uh, an interaction may be, well, I pay these taxes, so you should do X, Y, and Z. Um, so I think making sure folks understand what we exist to do and why it's important that that and the way that, that the district goes and does its job. I think the secret's out on the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District, but every year I, I run into people in the Middle Valley who walk along our ditch banks, who live in the benefited area and have no idea who MRGCD is. And that we provide lots of, we provide lots of other benefits um, outside, of those, outside of those missions that I talked about. Um, managing 1200 miles of facilities is, I mean, by by definition, people want to use those. When your facilities connect to nature, connect to the outdoors, um, you talk about some of those things that urban folks may not connect to, but many of those urban folks connect to walking along the Bosque. Yeah, um, which is many much of that is controlled by the MRGCD. Walking along drains and ditch banks where they see trees, and so there is a greening of the valley that happens with agriculture. And if agriculture goes away, and we're not diverting to provide water for agriculture, then you're not diverting into those canals and ditches that also provide greenery away from the, away from the river. We have a motto that says, um, the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District, keeping the valley green. And we don't do that just by delivering agricultural water. All three of those missions help us do that. And if one of those missions um, goes away or isn't done well, it affects that, that idea of keeping the valley green. So I, I, I offer that to, to urban folks as well as, um, and, and when I say urban, non-growers, non-irrigators, people who live but maybe don't use the water, but they don't recognize they're still benefiting from the idea that we grow and by diverting this water. Because consider the benefited area, most of the benefited area doesn't exist past um, uh, east of I-25 on the east side. But how many how many residents come down from the from the East Mountains into the valley to enjoy. Oh, absolutely. Right? And so there's the, and I just think folks don't understand that. Folks don't understand that there's an agency and there are people working to do that. And you may come from the East Mountains and never know um, that this work is going on and how important it is for them to come in and enjoy the Bosque, enjoy the facilities that they ride their horses on, ride their bikes, run, um, that they recreate on. And recreation is not a statutorial mission of the district. And yet what we do provides so much of that in our green spaces. I think about just one example is go to the end of Candelaria. 
um, over by Rio Grande where that roundabout is. And you'll see cars parked along the you know, neighborhood streets. People walk their dogs there. They're probably traveling from other parts of town, very much speaking to the point of enjoying the benefited area. There's ditch banks over by, say, uh, Valley High School. There's, of course, the Bosque at the end of Candelaria. It's it's apparent to me every time you even see, you know, tourists, people in vans traveling down there who, you know, maybe are just making a road trip through Albuquerque, through New Mexico, who are uh, stopping in that, as you say, the benefited area. Yeah, I don't I don't want to bring, bring back bad memories, but just imagine going through the height of covid when we couldn't gather um, and not having some of those green spaces, not being able to go to the Bosque and go to the ditch banks, right? Um, to get out of these places of being isolated, even if it was just to wave to a friend um, from a distance and and not, not having to travel a hundred miles to do it, right? Traveling 15 miles down the road or just coming down from the mountain or just going out your door, right? And what we do um, for both, all three of those missions lead to this greening of the valley um, that we as residents um, love and enjoy. We've already seen forecasts for a hotter summer. What are the chances, I know you probably get this question every year, but what are the chances of the river running dry this summer and what could that mean for people? That's a good question and I have to explain a little bit to get to that answer. And so we we talked about the Rio Grande Compact and we talked about being in debt and we talked about um, what that does uh, in terms of limiting our ability to store. so one of the limiting factors is our compact debt. Um, also, where the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District stores its water, it's current, that dam's currently being rehabilitated by the Bureau of Reclamation. So we, either through the compact or this major infrastructure investment, um, we don't have the ability to store water. So we are going to be um, largely at the, at the mercy of what the, the river and the basin produces. Um, that being said, uh, New Me- uh, the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District has a separate source of water that comes from a project called the um, San Juan Chama water, um, water Project. And this is imported water from the Colorado River Basin. Uh, and because of the amount of snow that we're getting, it looks like the, the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District will get a full allocation this year. Um, as opposed to last year, we only got about a 65% allocation. So there is hope. There's a little bit of supplemental water, um, but I say supplemental because um, whether we store it in Elvado and it's what we call native water, so produced in the basin, or we have this supplemental piece of water that comes from a Colorado River basin and it's imported in, um, both of those sources are supplemental. They're not meant to basically be the base flow of the river. Uh, and so the um, Without those sources to supplement, uh, it's it's harder for us, to, and especially native water, it's harder for us to extend the season. So as we come out of, so now that I've laid that groundwork, um, and again, I can't understate the importance of storage because when we don't have it, it takes a lot off the table. So we will, we're going to enjoy, I think, a much better spring through the valley. We're going to see flows. We're going to see water swell in the river that we, we didn't see last year. Uh, but what will happen is as that snow melt continues to happen and then end, you will see the river start to drop. Um, When that river starts to drop, if there's not enough demand to meet um, the ag demands that we have, you will see MRGCD use its San Juan Chama water to extend um, what you see those flows in the river. And then as that water um, runs out, we will get, hopefully that will take us into June or early July and hopefully monsoon event, hopefully our monsoon will kick up, right? And the, that's what happened last year, um, except that we just ran out a little, we ran out of water a little 
early? Well, the Rio Grande is now dry through parts of Albuquerque. Last week, the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District told News 13 because of the weak snowpack and lack of rain, they cannot release water from the reservoirs upstream like Cochiti. The situation is only getting worse with the central gauge showing no flow and zero depth. Early in the fact that we knew we were going to run out, but we just didn't have enough. We only had a 60% allocation. That's the only stored water we had. And then Albuquerque dried for three days, I think, and then the rains came, and then we weren't dry again. And so uh, it, whether Albuquerque dries or not, I think is going to be largely on the, the how far we get into this season and then whether rains will show up or not. And But um, I do want to explain what Albuquerque experienced happens on the Rio Grande every year further south. Right. And drying of the Rio Grande is not a new thing. It's a historical thing. Um, and our infrastructure that we have built allows us to, I think, limit the extent of that drying to a point, but it still requires water. Uh, and I think the before this infrastructure was built, Albuquerque, um, way back when, right, the, around the time the district was was born uh, and before that dried. Uh, this is not so this is not historical. It's, it's not a new thing. We just. We as um, folks who live in Albuquerque haven't experienced it because of one, the amount of water that was produced coupled with the infrastructure, historical infrastructure built to limit that. And we're just running up against the hydrology is changing enough where the infrastructure is not enough all by itself. Um, and we, we, we are now all having to adjust. Uh, many of us grew up during some of the wettest periods on record for the Middle Valley through the 80s and early 90s. All right. The um, I have I have memories of Elephant Butte being full and our kids may never our kids definitely don't have those memories, or at least mine won't. Um, but I have memories boating up to the, the most northern part of Elephant Butte and uh, and we're raising a generation that won't know that probably. And so I think that's the another long answer. But there's there's a lot there's a lot of complexity that goes in that and um, rain and infrastructure play a large role. Uh, and whether or not Albuquerque will go dry. But now to answer your question, do you, do I believe Albuquerque will go dry? No, I don't believe Albuquerque will go dry this year. I think we're in a better situation to weather that. Um, um, but, but I can't make that promise. Is there anything else that maybe we didn't ask you about that you'd like to share? I want to go back to, um, if we want to go, if we want to see patterns uh, uh, in the river that, that many of us grew up seeing, uh, then the key to that is returning New Mexico's ability to store water, uh, which requires um, being in compliance with the compact. And so there's a lot of questions going on um, at the legislature, at the office of the state engineer, within the MRGCD, with all water managers along the river. Um, how do we do that? With environmental groups, like how do we do that? And I think we have to, we have, to have value conversations in these meetings. Um, and I know we can't have the whole community come in, but there are representatives from the community that come into all these conversations and we've got to have values, you know, have a value discussion. And um, some of those discussions are going to be hard, right? When we have the least amount of water, can the whole river thrive? I don't know. Um, can the whole river thrive while we're um, making compact deliveries and making a sacrifice maybe for comp to get those compact deliveries there so that we can store water again so that during drier years, more of the river can thrive because we stored water in anticipation of it. Uh, and I'll leave that question out there because, again, um, there's a lot of complex questions and, and going on among water agencies and a lot of 
talking about what's important, when it's important. And uh, I think the there's going to be public meetings on these types of things as, as new projects are proposed and maybe re-envisioning of new projects happen um, that the public can, can weigh in. And the, I think it's important uh, not to ignore that and uh, come in and have a discussion and, and hear about it. Uh, because if the, cause some of these decisions are going to be made. And the more we can talk to the community about it, get them understanding, the more they can be ready for the effects of those. But hopefully understanding if it's a negative effect that they don't like, understanding that may be short term because we're making a sacrifice to do something and get us ready so that we, we don't have to make those same kind of sacrifices year after year after year. Jason, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your time with us. It sounds like very important work you guys are doing. Appreciate having me on. Thank you guys so much. Again, big thanks to Jason Kasuga, the CEO of the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District for making himself available to have this extended conversation about some of the most critical water issues that we have in central New Mexico. I think it is uh, a good platform to do this because water issues are very complex, I think, as, as Jason mentioned here in this conversation. And this is ideally a platform where um, maybe you learned a little bit more about just how broad and connected our infrastructure is and, and how each leg of it affects each other. So thank you to Jason for doing this. And uh, always a good reminder that conversations like this, ideas that are out there, perhaps you have them yourself, feel free to send them to us at any point. Yeah, we are always open to your story ideas and feedback. Feel free to email us. I'm at gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. I'm Chris.McKee at krqe.com and also at chrismckee.tv. Thank you.